All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to, again, our week 13 of being scattered together. And as was already mentioned, thank you so much, uh, members who were a part of our trimesterly online hybrid meeting uh, last week. I uh, pray that uh, that was good information for you and encouraged you. And again, we just continue to ask wisdom as we move ahead and just see what it is that God has for us next and when we can get back in this place. Uh, we're going to come to a time now we'll look at a passage from God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So, if you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this, we're all the way in chapter 6 now. Ephesians chapter 6, the passage this morning is verses 1 to 3. Uh, I'm going to read verse 21 of chapter 5 just to give us context, and then we'll leap right over to Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3. So starting in Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul writes this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is God's word. Let me uh, pray for us just for a minute and ask God's blessing on this time as we study this, and then we'll dig in together. Uh, Spirit of God, we uh, ask you now in this moment to come powerfully, uh, to speak to our hearts. I ask by your strength and by your power, would you open every heart, every ear to receive what it is you want to accomplish in us this morning through this word? You've already accomplished things in me, God. I pray that you would now give me uh, an ability by your spirit to communicate that uh, to your people. Uh, we trust, as your word says, that when you send out your word, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Oh, God, accomplish that purpose in each one who hears this message today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, so this, this is the message which every Christian kid I knew growing up in the church dreaded. We dreaded this message coming up because we knew, as soon as they read the passage, we knew the longer the, the pastor talked, we knew that our parents were just collating a long list of chores that they were going to get us to do when we got home. You know, you'd look around the church, and you'd see, like, parents smiling at each other, like, high-fiving each other. Yeah! It's crazy. Uh, and the reason is because they now had the ultimate weapon against us, right? They knew that, that any resistance, any resistance to their demands when we got home later that afternoon from church would be met with, hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, I can certainly understand how you'd feel that way, but does anybody remember what was it that the pastor was saying earlier this morning in his message? What was that, honey? What did he say? That's right. It was about children obeying their parents, that it would go well with them, that they would live long. And you know what? Of course, we want to argue back, but we knew to do that would only mean that a five-minute conversation would turn into a two-and-a-half-hour marathon lecture, and so most times we'd just be like, you know what, just give me the list. Just give me the list. It's fine. Well, tell you what, right from the beginning here, I want to give you a promise right from the beginning. 
as we continue on this morning in our teaching series through the book of Ephesians, is that if you're a young person still living at home right now under the authority of your parents, my promises to you is I am not going to preach a message like that. All right? I'm not going to sell you out like that. Promise you. Okay? Not simply because I believe that's a moralistic way of teaching the Bible that causes people to respond to God's word with fear and mistrust instead of joy. And, and actually, I want to be careful to note right here that actually that's, that's not at all the way my parents used the Bible in our home growing up. But, so, but even more to the point, the reason I'm not going to preach a message like that is because in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Paul isn't writing to parents at all. He's writing to children. He is addressing children directly who were clearly a part, a regular part of these church gatherings in Ephesus. And in fact, yes, although there are unique distinctions, there's a very real sense in which the mutual submission that Paul described back in verse 21 there, in which we saw played out last week between husbands and wives, also exists between children and their parents. In this united family of God, it exists there too. It means if you were to kind of zoom out on this whole section here, starting at verse 21 and following, you could read, children, obey your parents and the Lord, as flowing out of that same verse. So you could see, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, raise up your children. You could just skip along that way. And in fact, actually, if you keep reading, you'll see that this same Submission to one another in the body of Christ is something that even exists between employee and employer relationships as well. But the point is, as it relates to our passage here in verses 1 through 3, is that Paul is not in any way seeking to arm parents for battle. He is discipling the children in the congregation as to what the gospel implications are for them in particular in the body of Christ. He's speaking directly to them. And as you look at what Paul writes in these verses, as he disciples these children, you see him highlighting what I believe are two separate but related commands. Obey parents, they are to be obedient to parents, and honoring your father and mother. Those are the two commands. Obedience to parents, honoring your father and mother. And I say they're separate but related because while they both speak to how it is that children are to relate to their parents in the body of Christ, the first, obedience to parents, is one that has a very specific context and time frame. Whereas the second, honoring your father and mother, that is a command that, that remains ongoing for all of us, regardless of age or context. But either way, what we're going to see as we look at both of these commands this morning is that just as the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, 3, the commands of God are not burdensome to us. They're not burdensome, but rather come with promised blessings attached to them. That's something that you see Paul highlights very particularly in this passage here as he uh, speaks about and applies God's instruction from the fifth of the Ten Commandments given through Moses here to the life of the church in Ephesus. Namely, that although the way, what he's saying is that the way most of us think about parenting our children, the way most societies are governed in general, it seems almost by default, is that we give commands with the promise of discipline. That's how we usually do it. We say, hey, clean the car and vacuum it out or you can't use it tonight. Uh, drive 50 in the 50 kilometer an hour zone or you're going to get a speeding ticket. That's how we usually deliver commandments, and yet what Paul shows us here, as, as God so clearly pointed out, this 
command, it comes with the promise of blessing, not discipline. The promise of blessing and long life. So, if you've closed your Bibles, your Bible app, or whatever you have there, would you open it again with me to our passage here, beginning in Ephesians 6, verse 1. Follow along with me as we look at what mutual submission looks like in the body of Christ for children in particular. Okay, so let's look first of all at what Paul has to say about obedience to parents. Obedience to parents. Look with me again at what Paul says in verse 1. He writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, remembering what we established a moment ago about this verse flowing still out of verse 21 back in chapter 5, calling the redeemed and reconciled members of God's family to submit to one another out of their reverence for Christ, what that tells us, first of all, is that just as wives do that by deferring their will to the will of their husbands, husbands do that by loving their wives sacrificially, the way children are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is through their obedience to parents. That's how they do that. And the first thing you may have noticed if you're a details person like I am is that wives, where they're called to submit, like defer their wills to their husbands, children, conversely, they're called to obey they're both, both their parents. Okay, So not, not just submit uh, in general, but obey. Obedience is particularly what they're called to. Revealing that, yes, while there is mutual submission between children and parents in the body of Christ, and actually Glenn Bowles is going to talk next week about what that role looks like uh, for parents in particular, it means there is still a clearly defined authority structure between the two. Okay, So that, it doesn't ignore that. But as you read on, you notice that there are two qualifiers that Paul adds to this command to children. Namely, they are to obey their parents in the Lord. And then the reasoning Paul offers, at least initially, as to why they do this is, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, and for this is right. Now let's just look at those two things very quickly. First of all, when Paul tells children to obey their parents, quote, in the Lord, a straight reading of that text could almost lead to the conclusion that what Paul's telling Christian children is that they only need to be obedient to parents that are also Christians, uh, parents who are in the Lord. And yet, uh, what scholars tell us is that uh, the Greek, in the Greek text, in which the New Testament is written, in the Lord does not modify the word parents, but the word obey. Which means, just as we saw with husbands and wives, submission to parents is not motivated first by their worthiness to be obeyed, but out of Christ's worthiness to be obeyed. It's very different, actually. And, and, and actually, let's just be honest. When we look at any one of these relationships that Paul is talking about here within the body of Christ, that's actually really good news. That's a good thing, because none of us are perfect. None of us are consistently worthy of someone else's submission. But Christ always is. And so when we see it this way, that we do these things, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, well, then that allows this command to submit to one another to remain intact because he will always be worthy of our submission. But secondly, you notice at the end of verse 1, Paul's reasoning as to why children should seek to obey their parents as they do the Lord is because, quote, this is right. This is right, which I don't know, maybe... Maybe you're expecting something more spiritual from the Apostle Paul. But what theologian John Stott points out is that rather than weakening Paul's command by seeming to present it without any apparent biblical warrant, it actually strengthens what Paul is saying here as he classifies 
a child's obedience to their parents as something that God has actually woven into the entire nature of our very existence. He says it's just right. It's just how God designed things to work. Stott notes this, quote, It does not depend on special revelation. It is a part of the natural law which God has written on all human hearts. It's not contained to Christian ethics. It is a standard behavior of every society, pagan moralists, both Greek and Roman. They taught it. Stoic philosophers saw a son's obedience as self-evident, plainly required by reason and a part of the nature of things. Indeed, virtually all civilizations have regarded the recognition of parental authority as indispensable to a stable society. End quote. And maybe you look at all that and you agree, you know, in principle, that that sounds right, okay. But, but you still wonder, why is Paul making such a big deal about this? Like, why is this the one sole command? Like, that's the one distinct directive that he wants to give to children about how they're to live out the implications of the gospel in their lives in the body of Christ. Why, why choose this? Well, I think the first reason is found in Paul's restatement of this command in his letter that he writes to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 3.20, when he says, children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. So this is something, when you do this, it pleases the Lord, which actually, that shouldn't be all that surprising to us, particularly when you focus on New Testament teaching, you see Jesus' obedience to his father, when you see the way that Jesus describes obedience to him and his commands as the demonstration of our love for him. So obedience, it pleases the Lord. So that's one of the reasons Paul focuses on this in particular. But more than that, I wonder if one of the reasons we question Paul's choice of this command in particular to give to children in the church is because we don't actually see disobedience to our parents as that big a deal. Like important, yeah, super important. Should obey your parents, but like, but not this important. That that would be the one thing you want to say to them? Why would he do that? Well, think, think about it this way. If obedience to parents, if like parental authority is right, that is it's something that God has woven into the very nature of our human existence, then just follow that through. To go against the way that God has designed the universe to work, that, that tears at the very fabric of how God designed life to work. It's one of the reasons when you understand it that way, then I think suddenly it makes way more sense when we read in passages like Romans 1 verse 30, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 2, you see Paul listing disobedience to parents alongside things like murder and envy and hating God, hypocrisy and conceit. At first it seems out of place, but when you understand it this way, you understand, okay, actually all those things are destructive to God's design and creation. That's why he lists disobedience to parents in that list. It destroys what's right, the way God designed things to work. But when you think about applying this command and what it could look like in our lives today, although there's lots of different things we could look at, two questions in particular that I think have particular relevance to the greatest number of us are, first of all, number one, who is Paul talking about specifically when he refers to children? Like, who does he mean there? And secondly, is Paul commanding strict, unquestioned obedience to parents regardless of whatever it is they're commanding? Well, let's look at the first question. Who does Paul mean by children? Who's he talking about there? And really, 
along with that, when does one stop being a child, biblically speaking? When does this no longer apply? Well, some commentators have suggested that the Bible intentionally gives no specific age, actually, in order to help this apply to different contexts and cultures. So, for instance, in North American, Western culture, we generally see when a child reaches the age of 18 or 19, they can drive, they can vote, they can do all kinds of things like that. We generally say, okay, they've come of age, uh, and they're no longer under their parents' authority, strictly speaking. And yet, as I've listened to uh, friends from Asian cultures talk about how it works there, obedience to parents and to parents' authority, that's something that extends well beyond that time. Uh, If you look at what Paul lists here, uh, quoting Genesis 2.24 back in chapter 5 and verse 31, it seems he's saying it's when a child becomes married. They'll leave their father and mother. That's when they come out from under their parents' authority. So, which is it? Who does this command apply to, and, and, and who does it not apply to? Well, here's the thing. As a general guideline for how this applies, I'm saying again, a general guideline, all right? Don't email me this week and say, well, do you know what about a general guideline I think that Clinton Arnold's summary gives, uh, I think is really helpful. Clinton Arnold, a theologian commenting on this, says this, quote, the children that Paul speaks of are those who are still in the home, They're old enough to understand instructions from their parents and deliberate over whether they should obey or go their own way. They're still being brought up, receiving instruction and correction from their fathers, and they have not gotten married and left home. This would likely place the age range of these children from early elementary to the late teen or early 20s, end quote. Which, okay, that gives us a general guideline, but you might say, that seems pretty arbitrary. Like, well, what's the big deal? In the end, what does it really matter if we have a specific time when this applies and when you're a child? Well, I'll tell you what, it seems arbitrary until you have a parent who's unwilling to stop expecting obedience from their child when it's clearly no longer appropriate, or when you have a wife or a husband who is unwilling to transfer their allegiance from their parents to their spouse. Then, all of a sudden, understanding when this command no longer applies has a great deal of importance. Because we need to know when this should no longer apply, actually. And as it relates to the second question, is Paul commanding strict, unquestioned obedience by children? The answer, just as we saw back in chapter 5 and verse 22 with regards to wives, submission is, again, without a doubt, no. No. Uh, The Bible, again, never commands unqualified submission to any human authority. So yes, while Paul does say obedience to parents does not depend on them being Christians themselves, children are still in no way commanded to obey parents in matters that go against God's revealed will. Where this becomes tricky, of course, is let's say you have a child, they're still under their parents' authority, but they become a Christian in a non-Christian home. And now you've got a conflict of interest here. And let's say maybe the child wants to get baptized and the parents forbid it. They're like, yeah, that's cool. You want to go to church once a week and hang out with those people? That's fine. But we're not doing this baptism, this crazy cultish thing. That's too far. We don't allow it. What do we do in that circumstance? Well, I think in those circumstances, I would likely advise a child actually to obey their parents, to obey their parents 
put off their baptism for a time until they're under their own authority. And actually, equally, an equally valid testimony to their parents would be to obey their parents in this time as an obedience to God's word. Again, pursue baptism at a later time. But, of course, having said that, if their parents are forbidding them to follow Christ at all, or they're asking them to participate in some clearly sinful practice, no, then the child cannot and, and must not obey. The important thing to remember in implying Paul's command to either of these questions, regardless, is actually what we're going to look at next. Namely, that while obedience to our parents is not something that we do forever, nor is it without exceptions, the command to honor our father and mother extends well beyond childhood and applies, listen, even when our parents are not part of Christ's bride, the church themselves. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look next now at honoring your father and mother. Honoring your father and mother. Let's look again at what Paul writes in verse 2 and 3. Let's just remind ourselves of what he says there, and then we'll talk about it for a minute. Paul says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So if you didn't know already, Paul is actually quoting there from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of Exodus, which is then also restated in Deuteronomy 5. And it's actually one of the Ten Commandments, like one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to his, servant, uh, gives to his people through his servant Moses. Remember Charlton Heston or Christian Bale, whoever you remember from that movie? This is, these are the Ten Commandments he's quoting from here. And these were a statement, these commandments were a statement of God's moral will given to the people of Israel as they were about to enter into the promised land uh, and that they were, they were to be kept across all times, all generations. And while we often associate commandments and laws with, with a restriction of our freedom and thus uh, uh, our enjoyment of life, the Ten Commandments are essentially God's summary of how the life that He gave us works best. It's really, you could think of it, the Ten Commandments are like God's user manual for how to Enjoy a, a great, fulfilled life. Do this, God says. This is how I designed life to work. And when you see, uh, what you also see when you go back and read the, the place from where God actually gives these commandments to his people, what you see is that while God could have very easily just said, look, I'm God. Obey what I'm telling you. I made all this stuff. Obey what I'm saying. Instead, you see the motivation God giving for obedience to these commandments is not fear, but gratitude. Don't obey these commands because you're afraid of me. Do them because you're grateful. So before he ever gives the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The commandment that uh, Paul lists specifically in our passage is the fifth commandment. The commandment uh, uh, that Paul uh, rightly notes is the first, and really it's the only one in the list to include a promise alongside it. This is where God commands, and this is actually the, the commandment Paul lists is from the restatement of the law in Deuteronomy 5. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, we'll get into exactly what it means to honor your father and mother in a moment, but before we do, let's just consider for a second the promise that God gives that goes alongside this commandment. What does he say? 
that your days may be long and may go well with you in the land your Lord God is giving you. Now, for the Old Testament people of Israel, uh, they were going through the wilderness as God gives them this command. And the promise, the, the, the land of promise was the land of Canaan that they would enter into. That, that would be their inheritance. God's saying, do this. And, and when you get there, continue to live this way and it's going to go well with you. You'll live long there. For the New Testament people of God, now the, the promised land of God is no longer a, a place but a person. It's no longer a geographical region, but it's a kingdom. But regardless of, of which demonstration of the promise we're talking about, notice two things from this commandment. First of all, God's promise attached to this commandment in particular is that in being obedient to it, honoring their father and mother, he says it's going to go well for you. Meaning all kinds of things are going to be included in that. Uh, safety, prosperity, enjoyment, all those things. It's going to go well for you there. And you're going to live long in this land of promise. It's not just going to be a momentary blessing. You'll live long and enjoy this forever. Notice secondly, in the original commandment, God applies this command to the community of Israel as a whole. Not just to children alone which is, I think, the easiest reason to see why this command applies to everyone in God's family, child and adult, even after we've ceased to be children. It applies to all of us. But then, okay, so what does it mean to honor our father and mother? What is Paul and, I guess, God himself in the original statement of the commandment? What is Paul getting at when he tells us to do this? And and really, what does this look like in our lives today? Well, the word that Paul uses in Greek for honor is a word that means to value, to hold in honor, or to revere. And then the word used in the original Hebrew back in the Old Testament, the Hebrew statement of this commandment, uh, the, the word for honor there has to do with the weightiness of something or ascribing glory to it. So, so take those two pieces together and understand that's what the word honor means. And what that tells us, first of all, in the immediate context in which Paul quotes this command, specifically to children in the church body, is that the way a child brings honor, brings glory, brings value to their parents, is by obeying them. Now, yes, that includes all the caveats that I just mentioned about not being obedient to sinful commands, but the simple truth remains. Children, listen, this is God, this is, this is Paul speaking directly to you, God speaking through Paul directly to you. When you obey your parents, as frustrating, as annoying, as inconvenient as I know that can be, when you obey your parents as you obey the Lord, you're bringing honor to them. You're bringing honor to them like God's commanded you. And the promise attached to that is that when you do that, the blessings of God's promised inheritance remain upon you. So that what that means, listen, it means that's not for nothing. Even if your parents don't see, they never even acknowledge that that's what you're doing, God sees, and his promised blessings will remain upon you for doing it. Secondly, what it shows us, again, because this commandment initially is applied to all the people of Israel, is that when we are grown, when we are no longer under the authority of our parents, although obedience to them is no longer required, we are still to seek out ways to honor, to bless, to give glory to our parents throughout our lives. 
us. Again, not because necessarily they're Christian parents or they're leading and loving us in godly ways, but again, because there's something about the way God designed the universe to work. That when we live according to this pattern that he designed, life works best in the way that he designed. And again, if you're a Christian, if you're doing this out of obedience and reverence for Christ, the promised blessings of God and God's inheritance, they remain on you as well. What does this look like? What does it actually look like to do this specifically? First of all, what does it look like for a child who's still living under the authority of their parents? What does that look like? Well, actually, I think that example we looked at with baptism is actually a great example of how a child still living under the authority of their parents can honor them by deferring something that they can put off in order to show obedience to them as God commanded. That actually is a way to honor their parents and is actually an incredible witness to them, particularly to non-Christian parents who might see, hey, I know you really want to do this, but you're saying, no, God tells me to obey my parents, and so I'm going I'm to wait. I'm not going to do that right now. That, that could be an incredible witness to them. So that's one way to honor your parents there. What about for a child who's no longer living under the authority of their parents? Grown child. What does that look like to honor their father and mother then? And actually more than that, What does it look like for a grown child of a parent with whom you had a really hard, dysfunctional relationship? How do you honor your father and mother then? Well, really beautifully. This is something that I've had the great privilege of seeing lived out in real time, actually, both by my parents as well as my wife's parents. Got to just watch this firsthand. So so what I've seen how I've seen this actually work, to honor your father and mother regardless of what kind of relationship you had, it looks like this. This is how it can look. First of all, it means, although even if you no longer obey your parents like you did as a child, you still listen to them. You listen to them. You, you respect their opinions as valid and even seek out their, their wisdom and their advice. It means you make time for them means you include them in your life, and if one day you have children, you include them in the lives of your own children. Listen, even if that means you need to prepare your kids ahead of time for the hurtful things grandpa might say during your visit. It looks like celebrating them. Celebrating their achievements and accomplishments in life, their their retirements, their anniversaries, the things that they've accomplished, celebrating them, telling them how much their sacrifice in raising you has meant to you over the course of your life. Listen again, even if you had a really hard relationship growing up and there's not a whole lot to celebrate, what's one thing that you could bring to them and be like, I want to thank you for that. You've given that to me and I, I, I honor you for that. And lastly, another way it could look like it means caring for them. Caring for them in the best way that you know how when they can no longer care for themselves. Just in the same way that for how many years of your life they cared for you and you could not care for yourself. You're returning the favor exactly to them. In fact, in Mark 7, Jesus strongly rebukes the Pharisees for making void the word of God in the way Jesus said their traditions, which allowed them to not care for their parents, were a flat rejection of the commandment to honor your father and mother. Jesus brings up this commandment. He says, you have a fine way of denying and making void the word of God by your traditions. That's what it looks like. That's how I've seen that lived out in real time, to honor 
our father and mother. We, we listen to them. We respect them. We include them. We celebrate them and we care for them. That's what it looks like. And tell you what, just as promised, just as God promised, what I've seen as a result in the lives of both sets of parents again and again and again is the blessing of God resting upon their lives as they've been obedient to this command to honor their fathers and their mothers. And I believe it'll be the same for us because, again, that's how God designed it to be. It's right. God is faithful to his promise. But I don't know your story. I don't know where this reaches you or where this touches you this morning. For many of you, you might hear this, and it might all sound quite reasonable and doable. It might just be like, yeah, that, I, I am doing that, or this is something you know, I think I could do better. All that thing, it just sounds good and right and doable, and yet I know for some of you, this sounds all but impossible. And actually everything inside you resists this as hard as you can. Because you reason, if God knew what it's like living with my parents every single day, if he knew what that man did to me as a child, if God knew the hell my mother put us through and continues to try to put us through, there is no way he would ask this of me. So yeah, I think that great. This, this sounds really good for most people, not for me. And if that's where you're at this morning, let me just say, first of all, my heart breaks for you. And your Heavenly Father's heart breaks for you as well. The, the hurt and devastation that you experienced or maybe continue to experience at the hands of those closest to you is not at all God's good design for the parent-child relationship. That's not how we design it to work. And I'm so sorry that you've had to experience the brokenness of it. And also, I need you to hear me say, listen, in spite of everything that we've said this morning and looked at, in no way is this an encouragement to continue to place yourself in harm's way when what you might need actually is to remove yourself and bring in outside help and protection. But what I would also humbly remind you just to remember is two things. First of all, remember that your obedience to or your honoring of your parents is not first and foremost to be an expression of their worthiness, but of Christ's. You don't do this, you don't honor them because they're necessarily so honorable, but because Christ is. That's your motivation for doing this. Secondly, remember that the Savior who reconciled and redeemed you into God's forever family by grace through faith is the same Jesus who submitted himself to mocking, to spitting, to, to scourging, to death on a cross in order to be obedient to his Father and bring glory to him. As Jesus himself said, John 12, 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. For as Paul later writes in Philippians 2 in the famous passage, being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? 
He says, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did this. He was obedient in order to bring honor to his Father. A prayer for each one of us this morning. May God, by his power that is at work within us, enable us to live according to this command. Whether we're still children living at home under the authority of our parents or grown children now outside the home, to honor our father and mother. For this is right. To do it for this is right. That is, this is a divine principle woven into the very fabric of the universe, of our existence. And because not only is this the command of our Father in heaven unto whom we owe all obedience, praise and glory and thanks, both now and for all eternity, but because, well, this is also the first command for the promise. Amen.